1: Good morning. Good morning, Shannon. And uh, welcome, all of you. We're so thrilled to be here with you. I don't. That was a little I think funky there. From
2: problem with the audio.
1: We are having a problem with the audio. Well, I can I hear thought you. Thought
2: we were, but now it's okay.
1: Well, I thought we were having a problem with something sticking because you know we normally now have this countdown. I like to groove out to it because my favorite right. thing about it is is that. The music was written, composed, and performed by um, the folks over at Spectrum Laboratories. So right. I just love that we're walking our talk here. And I was grooving out to it, and then it, and it like in the pictures move of you and I, and it got stuck on. We could see half of your face on my screen. It got stuck on forty three. Oh, so okay. it looked like it looked like they were saying that you were forty three, which I think sometimes. Honestly, Nancy, you could pass for younger than 43.
2: Oh, you're you're
1: Uh, so sweet. So, But I thought I was like, you know, it looks like it's saying that Nancy is 43. Uh, And it was stuck there for a long time. So that's what it looked like on my screen. I don't know what it looked like on everybody else's screen. But Nancy and I are here this morning and we're thrilled. We are not 43, either one of us. No, Uh, I'm
2: (laughs) far above 43. Try two decades ahead of that
1: uh no one would believe that nancy so don't be spreading that around don't be spreading that rumor hey yes. we're saying good morning to tomoko and i i don't know if i'm saying that right to ari and uh for the first time i tried uh, putting so i don't know if you guys can see me saying good morning hopefully i was i i didn't realize i could type things in there i'm always fatuts that i can't type things back and i'm uh,
2: coming to you from virginia richmond virginia where i'm visiting my best friend And I'm on my cell phone because my Mac, for some reason, has a hard time connecting to this live studio stream, which I haven't been able to conquer yet. Normally, I come to you from my home computer. So how amazing
1: is it that you can join us?
2: We hope that I can connect with our guest uh, later on in the show, uh, special education consultant, Claudia Winger. Um, yeah, we're so really we'll looking see. forward to having her. We'll see. I may not be able to. We may not be able. I may not be able to hear her. In which case, I'll sign off and let you do the interview, Shannon.
1: Well, hopefully, let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Okay, uh, okay. And and Amanda is saying that she's in Virginia. Yay! Oh, You're hi, in, Amanda. Words. Uh, so that's a really fun thing. Are you guys having good weather in Virginia this morning? Yes, it's cold. Interesting. You know, in LA, we're having the weather that. I always say everyone should live in in California southern California in January and February because it's like 78 degrees and sunny. I know, get
2: tired of it. Don't you want a little winter?
1: Like um no, I don't want winter. Let's be 100% clear about that. I love it sometimes when it rains for a couple of days and I love it I I love a nice cloudy day. But no, in January I don't ever want winter. But let's remember, I was raised in upstate New York, so I've I've had the winter beaten out of me. (laughs) I I taught, I went to college for three years or for four years on Lake Ontario, and then I went back and taught there for three years. Seven years living on Lake Ontario. No, 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 no. That's like living in Siberia. I don't ever need winter in January or February or March or April as it would be in, in those places. So anyway.
2: Yeah. I lived in Boston for eight years and got really tired of winter as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Winter, winter is, winter is nice in December when, you know, it's the holidays and right. you really, don't, right. you only are getting together with friends when it's not COVID right. And that alternate universe we used to live in. But other than that, I don't ski. I don't like the cold. I'm not an outdoorsy person to begin with. So 78 is the right temperature. Okay. I should live in Wyoming uh, during the summer because, and I have before because it's uh-huh. 78 in the summer. Love it. It also snows though on July 4th. So there right. we go. <laughs> it, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but anyway, we're here. We're excited to be with you guys. I want to point out that if you're watching us right now, it is uh, the 15th of January, 2021. And so just to prove that we are live, because I know we showed a couple of weeks worth of recorded episodes, we are live right now and you have the ability to write in right now because this show is meant to be interactive. We are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter and Periscope. So if you're on any of those platforms, please feel free to write in now and throughout the show to be a part of the show. If you're watching us later on in podcast, we, we welcome you, you still can ask questions. It's just easier to ask those questions on our homepage in the chat, autism-live.com. And what we try to do is answer questions when we can um, in the next live show. So uh, we're saying hello, uh, that uh, someone says that my son needs a service dog. We live in New York City and it's hard to get one and expensive, so I don't know what to do. Really want to encourage you, um, that there are most of the organizations that do service dogs the families have to do fundraisers Mm -hmm. and there are there are several organizations that will help you to match funds but I whatever service you start to use find the service that you want to go through it's a lengthy process and as a family you sort of have to jump through a lot of different hoops but ask them What do your families do to raise funds? Almost no one is able to afford a service dog. It's a really great thing. In fact, we have a story about having pets. And and I realize a service dog is not a pet, but what it can do. Um, But definitely find the service that you want to go with. They should be able to help you to fundraise. And then there are places where you can get grants and things to help. It's very difficult right now because people are trying to raise money for, to be able to afford groceries and rent and and other things. And it's harder right now, but it's not impossible. So talk to the service provider about that. I I think that having a service dog is a a really amazing thing. Nancy, I know you've done a lot of work with animals and uh, this, you know, um, so it's worthwhile. Yes, wouldn't you say?
2: Yes, I think it's extremely worthwhile. Um, in terms of helping a child, oh, there's dog. a dog now. There's a dog now. <laughs> they're they're going Molly. Molly just walked through the frame, and golden retrievers make great service dogs, by the way. But yes. I worked when uh, at Act Today, I worked with a lot of service dog providers. And you're right, Shannon, they're extremely expensive. Um, so generally, we would have the service, the dog provider help the family figure out how to raise some of the funds because the price tends to be prohibitive for even most grant organizations. It's,
1: yeah, it's pretty expensive, but there are ways to do it. And yes. I think I think it's a thing, uh, even if you supplement by doing a GoFundMe or something like that, I think that uh, enough people are dog lovers that they get it, how important this could be uh-huh. to change life, and they want generally want to help. I love that every time we say dog, one of the a dogs
0: dog walks in walks
1: exactly. right. screen, they're like right on cue. Um, <laughs> and we're saying hi to Gina, who every My once best in a while friend walks is in the background too. We love, 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 love Gina. Yes. So we've got this great guest, and I don't want to be late for her, but we okay. also have our, our news stories uh, to cover this morning. We've got three different news. News stories. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to do them in the order that I sent them to Nancy. I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but um, we've got, we got warring stories here about maybe the, the causes of autism and maybe, maybe they're not worrying. Maybe they go together. Shall we start with the, the sperm story? Yeah.
2: Um, the headline on this story is biomarkers in a father's sperm linked to offspring autism. And uh, it's, fairly dense. So I'm going to let you help me break it down, Shannon, Um, that biomarkers in human sperm have been identified that can indicate a propensity to father children with ASD. Now that's simple enough, but these biomarkers are epigenetic. And Shannon, do you have a good uh, definition of epigenetic
1: no, I, I I'll be honest with you, it it evades me. But my understanding is that it it's something um, that can be passed down. Yes, that it's I understood
2: it as when uh, when environment alters genetics.
1: There we go. But but what I got out of this study is that they looked at a hundred men, mm-hmm. and they were looking at specific DNA methylation regions. And we know that methylation is when your body is able to take out environmental things and take out the trash. We all are exposed to environmental toxins. It's, and, and we were in every single generation, but our body's ability to take in, you know, like, you know, you inhale the, the truck that's going by and your body has to process that toxin and sweat it out or somehow move it out of your body so that it doesn't, Reside in your body and build up to toxic levels, and we know that our kiddos on the autism spectrum have a methylation problem. Their bodies don't take out the trash as well as other individuals. So what they did was they looked at a hundred men's sperm and they looked for these DNA methylation regions and found very specific areas and identified first identified that these particular things would be prevalent. Um, for potentially fathering a child with autism. Then they took a hundred cases of sperm and they tried to just identify uh, who might be a father of a child on the spectrum based on those things found in the sperm. And it was 90% accurate. That's a pretty high had-
2: level of accuracy. That's a pretty yeah. huge percentage.
1: Yeah. And um, now they are saying it's just a hundred men and, you know, they need to, they had two false negatives. So they need to go back and, and do a bigger sample, but 90% that's, you know, uh, that's big. And, and I think that this is going to be something that sort of rocks our community um, in a lot of different ways. And my husband and I have already had a conversation about this this morning because basically what they're saying is that at some point down the line, they could have a dad give a sperm sample and they could tell them what their percentage would be of fathering a child on the autism spectrum. Right. And that, of course, you know, leads to some conversations that aren't comfortable. I mean- My, my husband and I were talking about it this morning and I said, you know, I shudder to think if we had been in a circumstance where we had known that he had a higher propensity to have a child with autism without having had a child with autism, I think that would have scared us. Mm-hmm. And I would not have wanted to have missed parenting Jem for anything under the sun. Right. And so I-
2: it brings up the same ethical questions that amniocentesis brings up. And one of the reasons why we don't see as many uh, people in the community with Down syndrome is because Down syndrome is all but vanished due to uh, amniocentesis and parents being able to find out if they have a Down syndrome embryo. Um, so, and choosing selective termination.
1: Yeah. It kind of breaks my heart a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I know you had a brother who yes. uh, was down syndrome. So you might and have to-
2: I can't imagine what life would have been like without him. Yeah. Um, so
1: it, it really brings up so many ethical questions as does this study. Yeah, I know we uh, were pressured really because of my advanced age when we were pregnant with Jem, we were pressured repeatedly. By our healthcare provider to have amniocentesis, we in order to sign off on it officially. Because I said to them I was going to get a lawyer if they didn't stop asking me. Uh-huh. They made us, they made us go in and have genetic counseling, uh, and I said sure I'll sign up to do that. And they and both of us had to be present. And and the and I'm not kidding you, the woman who did the genetic counseling for us was a th- thalidomide baby. Oh,
2: how, isn't that and, an interesting twist, right?
1: And and I said, I said, man, that's really. Uh, so you have to sit there for an hour with a, with an incredibly intelligent, compassionate young woman, who um, had no no arms or legs. She had hands and feet, but no arms or legs because she was a thalidomide baby. And talk with her about what the choices were that you were making, and we at the end of it said we're we're not going to have an amniocentesis because if he's downs we're keeping so there's no reason to check. Um, so, but I know everybody feels differently about these things. Wow. Now on the flip side, as everybody's out there going, oh, okay, apparently it's genetically the dad's fault. Why? a child is on the spectrum. Before you judge too quickly, there is an additional study in the additional news study, yes. that yes. talks about um, the propensity for it coming from the mother. Yes. And it might be that it's, it's not necessarily genetic, but it's the mother's ability to metabolize carnitine seems to be in question now. Uh, what yeah, I love particularly at, about this down. study,
2: go ahead, Shannon. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say that one of the lead investigators on this is somebody that Jürgen Hahn from um, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, who we've had on the show. So mm-hmm. I loved that we got to have Jürgen come back and and let us know uh, more about this study. But but. What, I, I I cut you off too, Nancy. Go ahead and say what you want to say. Well, this was
2: based on blood samples that were taken, analysis, or analyzed two to five years after they gave birth. And it basically showed that the mothers were... It has to do with metabolite levels, how they're metabolizing certain uh, substances. And as you said, carnitine was... Um, implicated in this carnitine can be produced there are many many of the variances it says were linked to low levels of folate vitamin b12 and carnitine (laughs) conjugated molecules carnitine can be produced by the body and can come from meat sources um, but there wasn't a correlation between mothers who ate more meat and mothers who had higher levels of carnitine
1: yeah, I I I really want to talk to Dr. Han about this because they're really focusing on the carnitine, but it really jumped out at me about the folate, because for the folate, um, you know, we know that there are uh, the whole MTHFR. There are a lot of moms that are being diagnosed with MTHFR, and that means that your body won't process. Uh, the anything but folate. So I really wanna talk to him more about this. The the real asterisk here is that they only looked at moms whose children were already diagnosed with autism. So their kids were between the ages of three and five. Now they're gonna go back and look at these carnitine levels and the folate levels and the B12 levels of women who are pregnant, track whether they had a child with autism because they don't know if their level was low when they were pregnant. Like it will be very interesting to see, um, because why are why is this particular group of women who have children on the autism spectrum? Why is their carnitine level different? And they can identify them just like the dad sperm. We can identify them and group them without knowing if their child is um, on the spectrum. They can identify it later. So, uh, I know we're getting a little bit of a, a feedback, and we're, we're trying to address that, you guys. But uh, we're going to uh, move on to our last. Yeah,
2: we're getting some. Here. We're getting some um, popping, but now it seems to have stopped.
1: Yeah. Um, so we're hoping that we've got that under control now, but. Um, also, uh, the other study we we kind of teased about it, talking about pets, is uh, there's a new study out showing that if you want to boost your child's social skills, especially in COVID, it might mean adopting a cat. Uh, yeah, I found this, this
2: feel good story because yeah, um, they the was in the Journal of Pediatric. Ne- Looking at 11 families with children with autism, ages 6 to 14, four of the families adopted a cat from a shelter right away and were followed for 18 weeks. The remaining families were monitored for the initial 18-week period at which they adopted shelter cats and were followed by another 18 weeks. All of the families adopted cats who were screened using a feline. All the families adopted cats who were screened using a feline temperament profile to ensure they were calm animals. And surveys were conducted every six weeks to assess the children's social skills and anxiety, as well as how the parent and their kids bonded with the new pet. So not only did the children with autism see improvements in their social skills, but both kids and their parents forged strong bonds with their pets, and those bonds remained over time.
1: So helping to build those social skills. Now, I, I can hear all of you because I was like, well, what about dogs? What about dogs? And um, they said that there was previously a study done about dogs. And while there are benefits for any kind of a pet that you bond with, because dogs come with a different host of behaviors that sometimes... The benefit was not able to be received because the dog barked and it scared the child. So it really comes down to understanding: is this pet a good fit for your child? Because some dogs I think are great for socialization, but what made the cats a little bit more across the board successful, cats tend the behaviors that cats exhibit mostly aren't off putting to the sensory issues that a child on the spectrum has. But you can do that in a dog. Um and, and I love bitter, you're right on my page, bitta. Why a cat? What does a cat do that a dog doesn't do? It's what a dog does that a cat doesn't do. But but keep in mind that a dog can do the same things if we get the right dog for the right kid is what the the study suggests. So Um, you know, we know that a lot of people have adopted pets in in COVID. In the beginning, I was like, what are they doing? Why are they they doing that? That's crazy. They're going to go back to work in a month and then they're going to have this dog or this cat. And of course, that isn't what happened. And it has lowered people's stress levels. It has cleared a lot of the shelters um, and has made people's quality of life go up. So if you're really concerned about social skills during COVID, it may be time to get a cat or to research and get the exact right dog that doesn't set your child's sensory issues off so right there was a story on the
2: evening news last night about how shelters are being cleaned out of dogs
1: yeah well but i'll bet that there's cats because there's always cats uh and don't we have in this loud uh don't i can't see don't Don't we have in this loud world, get our sensory kids, get used to noises? Yes, we do need to do that. But if what you're going for, it's always that thing about what are you working on? Why are you working on it? So if what you're doing is saying, we're going to get a pet for the family, for the warm, fuzzy that's one thing. If we're getting the pet because we want to work on social skills and we're hoping for the warm fuzzy, that's another thing. But if we're getting, we would I don't think we would ever get a dog and say, we're doing this to have them work on sensory issues. I think we would work on the sensory issues first and then get the dog because you know the dog's a, a living, breathing thing. And I think it would be miserable for the dog because you'd have to have times when you would just totally remove it because otherwise you're making it painful for the person. Right. Right. Uh, so, in any case, we've got a great guest, and we've we kept do. her waiting a little bit. Uh, and uh, she's remarkable. has a, a, a list of credits to her name that we're really excited to share. She is the she's a special needs educator and a board certified behavior analyst, and um, is uh, the head. She founded Claudia Care's Consulting. And Nancy, I'm stealing all you usually do the best introductions. Do you want to pick up where I left off or well, my? I- sure. Um,
2: as Shannon said, she's a board certified behavior analyst and she's worked with the California Regional Center and the Department of Rehabilitation Adult Program. So she has lots of experience in working with school services and regulation. And uh, this led her to create Claudia Cares because she wanted to support families the secondary school transition and guide students through a meaningful transition to adulthood. And so she created an online course, The Right Path, which I have taken, and really brings up all the issues that you're going to encounter on the transition from uh, secondary school to adult life. And she says we need to get started a lot earlier than we think. And let's welcome her to the show. Claudia? Claudia?
1: Hello, we don't have your sound yet. Ah, there we go.
2: Thank you so I'm much. I'm wondering if I should. Can you
1: I hear can me? hear her now, Nancy. Can you hear her? Yes, but there's a lot of static,
2: so I'm going to let you take over the interview, Shannon.
1: Okay. All right. All right. I, I, have you, I had muted myself and had static, so I thought maybe that would take care of it. Oh, well, I don't have the static at this point in time, but Claudia, we're so glad to have you here. And Nancy will come back and join when she can. Uh, But Claudia, you know, we're we're really excited that you're able to be here with us in this first week of coming back. And we want to, in particular, talk about this transition time. Tell us first, though, about Claudia Cares and how people can contact you before we launch into this.
0: So the best way to contact me is probably by email, which is consulting at claudiacares.com or through my website, which is claudiacares.com.
1: Okay. And as we start to talk about this a really stressful time for families, when we start to talk about the transition from school to adulthood, in fact, a lot of people refer to it as the cliff um, because it just feels like, you know, we've we've had this structure for this really long period of time and that we're gonna lose it. Uh, So can you talk with us a little bit about what, it's not just on the parents to be the student for doing this, right? The school has some risk. Can you talk about that?
0: Yes, I can. And and you're 100% right. A lot of parents say it's like falling off the cliff. Uh, Sometimes they'll refer to it as graduation to the couch because their child is just not prepared and there's nothing on the other side. Um, and basically, what's what's happening is that um, there's work that needs to be done prior to that moment. And some children their secondary transition end at graduation in 12th grade, and some in, some children end at 22 on the 22nd birthday when they go into adult services. And part of the reason that that there is such a difference is because the laws change, and parents aren't even aware necessarily that this is happening. For example. The IDA that is the one that drives the IEPs and all the services that they're getting through the schools ends at graduation or at the end of secondary education. And so a lot of parents plan, for example, for their child to go to community college or even a four year college, and the IEP does not go there. And so they're not prepared. And it's the preparation that um, is really what is needed. The other side that's really makes it even more difficult is that you're dealing with a teenager. So parents are dealing with like what's happening right there. And then at the same time, they're supposed to think about the future. So it's, it's, it's a double whammy and it's hard. That's the hard part. The good side of it is that if you start early and IDEA says that it must begin by age 16, that is not soon enough if your child's getting a high school diploma. And the IP team can make the decision to start at 14. And there are some states that already have those laws that it must begin at 14. But if a parent begins at 14, 13 with the assessment, it's not, it's really doable. Because then it's small steps, you can plan it out, you know where you're heading, you understand, and you're, and, and you can, and it's doable. So I think that's the good side. And that's what what, you know, I really
1: try to focus on with my families. Wonderful. There's a, you know, a, I think it, a lot of our viewers know what an IEP is, um, although we always have new people who come in, and um, so maybe we could talk a little bit about that. But I find that very few families doesn't matter, even though we talk about it um, frequently on the show. I find that very few families know what an ITP is. So can you talk about an IEP and an ITP and Phyllis in about? You know what an ITP should look like? So, an
0: ITP is an individual transition plan. It is part of the IEP. It is often towards the end of an IEP. So, some IEPs are 30 pages long, 25, and it's at the very end. And a lot of families and parents don't even recognize that it's there because it's thrown at the end of an IEP meeting. And so, It's no wonder that they don't know. And also, if your child's 14 and suddenly it shows up there, you're like, I can't deal with that. You know, there's so much going on now. I'm not going to deal with it now, later, later. And then it just becomes on the side. So the first thing that I I tell families is that it is okay and probably even worthwhile to ask for the uh, ITP portion of the IEP to be a separate meeting so that you can really focus on that. Um, and so that, that then then you are actually looking at the transition as its own entity and are able to focus on that. Um, and so
1: that helps. Um, yeah, I it's interesting <laughs> because I don't think I knew what an ITP was until my son was 14 or 15. I don't think I'd ever heard anybody talk about it before then. And we had a guest who was on the show who talked about it. And I was like, what? I'm missing the boat here. How come I don't know about this? Um, And then I started talking to other parents about it and and going, do you know, do you know? And and I found that most people didn't. And that when we all then marched back to our school and said, hey, does my child have an ITP? It was pretty much 50-50. That about 50% of them, oh yeah, it's attached to the the back part of the IEP, but a bunch of people were like, what, Hmm, no. That some school districts, it's just like they just haven't been doing it. And I keep saying to parents, it's now incumbent upon us to know about it, to request it, to ask about it, and to make sure that it's happening. Are you seeing that more schools are doing it? Or do you see that parents really have to be proactive like that, Claudia? Um,
0: I have seen it almost exclusively always in the IEP. Okay, good. Good. That's great. Well, It's good and it's bad. I mean, it's good that it's there but it's not necessarily an ITP that meets the child's needs. You know, um, the goals in the individual transition plan are not hopes, they're not dreams, they're goals. So you'll you'll hear, you know, you'll have, I'll see goals like, I want to be an airline pilot. I want to, um, I'm trying to think of things, you know, that that I've seen there. They want to go to college. So they write it as a, and some of them may be actually doable. It's not, it's not my place to say where they are or aren't, but what the goal needs to have is components in it that show what is the school, what is happening within
1: those school years that will help them reach that goal. Right. Because you don't just, the the airline ferry doesn't come and bonk you in the head and make you an airline pilot. You have to do a lot of things to be able to get there. A lot of things. Uh, Brandy has said, having the ITP as a separate meeting seems like a great idea to give it the focus that it deserves. I agree with you, Brandy. So that's a great tip already. What can parents do to help their children to prepare for the future and to prepare for adulthood and to prepare themselves for the ITP meeting?
0: So, you know, there's a lot of different things. So let's put the education to the side, everything that the school has a responsibility. There are four other areas that they need to look into. One of them is government programs, and that is state specific here in California. We're pretty lucky. We have, you know, even though while we're living here, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's good enough. But in comparison to other states, we're, we're in pretty good shape. But there are government services, there are medical waivers and things like that that can help get services after schooling because a lot of times um, and and again it's very state specific but a lot of services do come from the schools while the child is in school so what you want to look forward and say to see what services are available in the states you live in, that you can tap into once your child leaves school and some of them would be things like also vocational um, agencies and things like that so that's one thing government services the other area is financial preparation things like understanding that you can apply for SSI the moment your child is 18. Sometimes families don't understand that their financials do not go into play the moment their child turns 18 years old. Um, Another thing to look into is your legal areas. You know, do you want to do conservatorship or here in California, limited conservatorship or guardianship? What are the pros? What are the cons? You know, medical uh, uh, decision making, all sorts of things like that. And doing those things before the child is 18, looking into them. I'm not saying necessarily doing it because it's very personal decision. So that's, you know, I I don't get into that part of it, because I I do think that it depends on your culture, depends on your, your situation and all that. And the other thing that families need to look at is medical options. For example, um, some doctors don't see kids after the age of 21. If that is your child, and you've been with your doctor for 20 years, 21 years, the last thing you want to know is hear about it three months before. Yeah. So that would be one thing that you would really want to look into. Will your co- doctor continue doing, providing the support that your child needs? If not, then what does the transition look like?
1: Um, Can we go back and talk about the SSI for just a second? Cause I have a question about that. Yeah. So if, so if your child is already getting SSI and they turn 18, do you have to reapply for them or it's no. just going to go straight through?
0: No, it, go, it goes right, straight through.
1: Okay, but, yeah. Go ahead. And then on the other side, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day because my son is a senior in high school and getting ready to go to college. And they were saying, oh, make sure you apply for him to get SSI when he turns 18. And I said, oh, you know, that's not going to apply to us because he doesn't identify as as having a disability. So that's not going to apply. And they were saying to me, oh, that doesn't matter. You can still apply. And I was like, mm, I don't think he's going to do it. But yesterday on the show, We had two wonderful self-advocates, one of them who's about to turn 60 on the autism spectrum. He had worked at a job for 38 years. He drives a car and now in COVID, first he was furloughed and now he's lost his job. His his job no longer exists because they've had to move because of COVID. His girlfriend is there. She has a different diagnosis, does not drive and works part-time, but she has SSI and I was saying, why doesn't he have SSI? And they both were saying no, because he's higher functioning and he can drive and he can work. So he is not eligible for SSI. Is is the is SSI is there like a a test of like how much of a disability you have and then, then you qualify? Do you know? I'm just asking. Yeah, to qualify for SSI you have to show that you can't work. You can't work.
0: I'm able ah. to- Work right, so if you're not able to work due to your disability, then you'd be able to qualify for it.
1: Okay, well, that's really interesting. So, uh, okay, well, that, I, that's I, a had,
0: I mean, I had a client where the parents really tried to get it, and the judge said, Sorry, you have to show that she's unable to work.
1: So, she but we're to- trying so hard in the autism community to make it so that all individuals can work a job. I guess it's the other person was saying she works, but it's part- time, and she still gets her SSI. So you can't work full time and you get your okay. you can work a certain amount of time and the and the goal is to
0: make everyone work. So the question it's a balance, you know like how much support do you need and how much work can you do? So it's a little bit of a balance in that respect.
1: All right. Got it. I'm sorry. I derailed us, but it was I was on my mind the last 24 hours. Okay. So you, we were talking about the things that we can do, because I think it's so stressful for a parent when our kids are about to make a transition. We always want to know, like, what's the bag of tricks? What else can we do? So you were saying, look at government support um, and make sure that our medical is in order. What else can we be doing, Claudia, to prepare our kiddos for this transition?
0: well you want to look at each area um, i'll give you another example uh, selective services if your child if you have a male child that's 18 they must apply to selective services now i'll get a parent saying well my child's not going to the army that's ridiculous right. so well this is a wait list it's a law in the united states that any any 18 year old male there are a few things like if they're living in some kind of residential setting then they don't but you have to apply for it by law and it's actually punishable Um, But more interesting, and I don't know if people get punished for it or not. I have no idea. But what's more interesting is that you have to apply to it to to qualify for some grants. So many of our children are going into college and might want to apply for uh, financial support, federal financial support. And if you don't apply until the age of 26, you can't apply after that. So it's done Mm -hmm. between 18 and 26 after 26, you can no longer apply. And then if your child is still trying to get some federal funds at that point, they wouldn't be eligible.
1: Okay. So. so this becomes a really important thing. I know I was told, because we just had to go through this, I was told that you apply and that you know they haven't used the selective service in many, many years, but should they have a need to start it again, that at that point, you would be able to ask for, um, I don't know whether they called a hearing or whatever, where you would go in and provide evidence of why your child, why it was not appropriate for your child. And that that was, is a pretty, you know, that even the last time they did it, that it, it's, the truth of the matter is, is that our armed services, whether you identify as being disabled or not, if you have an autism um, diagnosis, they are not supposed to take you at this time so if you have a diagnosis somewhere um, I, what I've been told is you will be declined right
0: yeah there's, no. there really is there's there's really no fear you know it really shouldn't be a part of the picture it just needs something you do it you do it online it's really quick and again you want to do it before they're 18 much easier a lot of these things are a lot easier to do as a parent before they're 18 and they reach the age of majority because then they have to sign off after 18. there
1: we go Um, And I just learned for the first time that if you're filling out financial aid forms, like the FAFSA for college, it's in there automatically. They say it has your child already uh, registered. And if not, would you like to use this document to do it? You check yes. And then you're pretty much done. Uh, Okay. So lots of things here for a parent to do, but you were making the case that you don't want to be starting this like on the eve of their 18th birthday. Definitely not. Definitely not. You want you want to know. So
0: so you want to know, and you want to know what you want to do, what you need to do, age by age, depending on your situation. I'll give you another document that's really um, uh, in, needed: summary of performance. Summary performance is um, put together by the school before your child leaves school to talk about who they are, what they are, what their needs are. A lot of people leave school and don't have it or they have one that isn't very good. And that's why very- do we
1: need this. Who, who do we end up giving this to? Why is this important? You I've never give, heard of it.
0: Yeah, you can give it to It's It's actually an IDA. It's part of the law. Okay. Um, and it is probably there somewhere, most schools, because they know how to cover their, you know, they, they need to. I mean, they know how to follow the, the law per se, but that doesn't mean that the document has what is best um, has the information that is good for your child. You are talking about your son going to four-year college, he'll probably go into the disability offices there. A summary of performance could be something that could be put in the records there to help the school understand your child's needs um, and what could best you know, help him through his college career. So that would be one place, or, or even an adult program where you're trying to get some more help, or even an employer if the, if the individual wants to be open about their disability. It's just a document that kind of rounds up who you are, um, your skills, what your needs are, and so forth. And if you leave school, either graduation or 22, and then you go, oh, wait, I want it. What are the chances that you're going to go back to the school and they're going to do what you want them to do? They have a hard enough time doing it when you're in there.
1: So. Okay. So on our checklist <laughs> that we need to get that before they graduate, who would we ask that for at the school? Whoever is the the case yeah. manager?
0: Yeah, the case or the counselor or what have you. Different schools probably have different people that
1: take care of that. So we have a question back about the SSI. When can you apply for SSI? Is there an age restriction? Uh,
0: the short answer is no. You can apply at any time, even be, before 18. But what they use is the financial records of the parent prior to 18. Mm-hmm. So if you do not qualify as a family for Social Security, then your child won't because he's still a child. After 18, it's based on your child's financial situation. So you kind of want to make sure you you know, your your ducks are lined up, so to speak. You know, for example, you know, is is there a bank account for your child? If if your child has money in his name, then he's not going to be able to um, you know, qualify for SSI. So you want to do things like um, uh, um, able accounts, for example, and um, special needs
1: trusts and things like that. Um. But even as we're talking about all this, it really com- what what <laughs> the message that I'm getting here, because I, like I go, oh, there's a lot to keep track of. If that there's a very good reason why you've created the consulting service that you have, because rather than having to keep track of all of this for yourself and know all the ins and outs, why not take Claudia's course or work with her and or work with her so that you've got somebody in your corner who knows that, been there and done that. I think that some of these things, you know, when we go through certain hoops now, it's like, how many times are you going to do this? You're only going to go through the transition once and you're going to learn so many things by the time you go through it once that's going to be use, useless information to you, but useful to somebody else. Claudia's already got it for you. So if you're feeling that, like uh, that I'm feeling right now, save yourself the time in Agita and contact Claudia and say, yes, I need some help with this because it sounds it's, you know, what I'm hearing is that it's going to be a slightly different for everyone. It is. That when I think of the difference between my son and Nancy's son and, and what they need and, and the questions that we have, we couldn't be at the same meeting together. You know what I mean? We would would have different things, although there would be things in common. There's an umbrella.
0: There's an umbrella. And then you kind of go into different roads depending on on the individual, the family, the state. I mean, there's so many variables,
1: but there is something, there is an umbrella. So this is why you call your course the right path. Tell us a little bit about you know, how do people register for this and like how many weeks is it? Are you there with other people? Talk to us about the right path. So, I've made it really simple. It's you can go on my website,
0: Clydecares.com, and it's called the right path. Just click on it, you'll see it, and you can you'll have some information and you can click and purchase it that way. Um, it is a self guided group, a self guided course. You do it at your own time, at your own pace. But what I've done, and it doesn't, it won't take that long. Um, I've done is a series of very short videos, maybe two, three minutes long, so that you can have the, the information, figure out if that pertains to you. I have a workbook that goes alongside it that you could jot the notes that you need. So let's say your child is three years, three years old, 13 years old, and you're, you're watching the one about guardianship, and you look it up and find out what it is in your state. So I give the document there so you could look up what what is available in your state. And you go oh yeah that may be something i need to do you could write it down inside your workbook and refer to it later i also have a a, another sheet where age by age what you should do at each age so that you can just sort of set it up maybe put up some some reminders in your own calendar but it's it's kind of all set up for someone to just have that information and be able to move forward um, so. Okay.
1: Well, that's remarkable. Can you, are you feel comfortable telling us what the cost is for the course so that we can let people know? Yeah. Right now I have it
0: at $49 a person.
1: I'm, and I'm telling you, like that's that's the best deal going, you guys. I mean, to already have the checklist so that you can just do the things that you have to do and not have to guess or wonder, or in the case of so many of us, pick me, like, you know, finding out five years later, oh, I should have done That and that could have made the difference. And then the guilt that you carry in a backpack on your back forevermore after that for for less than $50. I'm telling you, tell them what the website is to go to Claudia again so they can just do this. It's Claudia Cares,
0: K C A R E S dot com.
1: And then you also do consulting. So if somebody has something that's a bigger issue or or like an extreme issue or something like that, they can pay for time just to consult with you personally, correct?
0: I do offer one on one consulting. So sometimes families you know need a little more direction about them. This is the course is really a big oversight um, and it was created with the attempt to make sure that people had all the basic information all under one umbrella and kind of be able to set it up. But yes, I do offer one-on-one consulting.
1: Now you're here in Southern California, but you, you said you deal with people all over, right? That you have different States. um, So it doesn't matter if you're in Texas or New Jersey, you can take the course, the right path and find the information that you need to find. Well, Claudia, like, Honestly, thank you so much for being a resource for families and for making it cost effective because I think a lot of people um, are really at sea. And, and I think it's a difficult time because, I mean, look, our kids are all, are, are running different races, right? And as parents, I know I'm tired. Uh, you know, my son is 17 and I'm tired. And I'm, and I, I always say that I want to be curious and I want to learn new things, but if it's something that I just have to learn once, no, I just want somebody to tell me what to do. Um, you know, if it's a computer program that I'm only going to use once, I don't want to be really efficient at running the computer program. I want to get out of it what I'm supposed to get out of it. And it's the same way with my son's life. I keep telling him over and over because we're we're like having to learn all these new things. And I've said, yeah, you're not gonna have to do this again. You're, you know, if we do this right, you only apply to college once. Yeah, you might apply to graduate school later on. But, you know, it's a it's a set of lessons that are very unique to different periods and time in your life. And I have other friends who have kiddos on the spectrum where college is not, they're not college bound, but they have a whole other set of things that they're having to learn that I don't know about. Um, so it, it just begs the fact that Uh, having an expert who knows which way is up. And I love the fact that you're also a BCBA, and so you get it on levels that a lot of people wouldn't get. We love you, Claudia.
0: Thank you. And and just to kind of piggyback on that, my ultimate goal is actually to also create a course so that people know what the options are in adulthood, which this course does not have. And in addition, using my ABA um, background, um, helping parents with how to help their teenagers become more independent towards adulthood so i need I'm, that i'm just starting at this point but this to me was the most important um having worked in adult services and families coming and going huh, you know and i yeah. just you know it's, it's such an awful feeling that i really that's what i'm combating right now
1: Claudia, I want to make sure that we connect you, you know, at, at CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, they now have um, teen and adult centers, and I want to connect you with the folks that run those, because those families are always looking for resources like yours. And so I want to make sure, don't let me forget to connect you with those folks so that you can be on their resource list for families. They, they're always asking me, Shannon, who else do you have that, um, that knows things about this age range? Uh, and somebody says it, it needs a village to raise a child, and thank you um, all for, for that. Thank you, Claudia, for doing that. So, again, Claudia, give us the website one more time ClaudiaCares.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today and for helping us with all this information.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: All right, you take care. You now, I don't know if we're able to get Nancy back now, um, so we're going to see if we can get her back, but I wanted to take just a second until we see whether we can have Nancy back um, to talk a little bit about next week and the the next coming weeks. Um, we, we've streamlined things a little bit at Autism Live here um, while we're continuing in COVID, you know? I know many times we've heard or seen, or um, it's been said, okay, we're rounding the corner and we weren't really rounding the corner. So I don't wanna say we're rounding the corner unless we see that we're rounding a corner. But I know that um, more and more people are um, getting vaccinated. And, and I know that this is a particular um, issue in the autism community and there are lots of questions and we're not gonna avoid those questions. We're gonna be asking those questions. But in order to get, to some form of normalcy. It seems that there's a couple of things that are very true um, scientifically. and And again, we're going to be looking to have scientists here on the show to share that information with you. But in order to get back to some semblance of normalcy, we have to be able to demonstrate that a larger portion of the community is immune to getting the disabling effects of COVID. My understanding, having spoken to uh, an expert last night, is that the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting the virus. It prevents you from getting the disabling aspects of the virus, which is why they're asking people, even if they've been vaccinated, to please continue wearing a mask, because um, that is going to be essential for quite a while to come. So couple of things that I, I want to bring home to you that we are going to double down here at Autism Live and continuing to provide you programming um, and especially for distance learning because we anticipate distance learning for the next two months in most locations. So we want to continue um, to be talking about how we can get the most out of distance learning. But um Oh, somebody wants to know, how can you submit a question for Ask um, Dr. Doreen for a q and uh, I will tell you the best place to do that at this point in the show is to go to our website, autism-live.com, and there is the chat button. If you put your questions in there when we're not live for Ask Dr. Doreen, that's where I take the starter questions when we start the show before you guys start asking the list of Put your question for that and thank you for asking that. Uh, and then she will be back here next Wednesday which brings me back full circle to what we were talking about. On Mondays we um, on the show for the foreseeable future until we're well and truly out of COVID we're really focusing on the educational piece and what your rights are and some different choices that you can make and so our guest is Bonnie Gates on Mondays. On Tuesday we're Temple Grand and Tuesdays either live or recorded interview that we've done with Temple in the past. Um, Wednesdays are Ask Dr. Doreen, where you can ask her questions live, or you can send them on our website ahead of time, and I do start with those questions. Um, I always say to people, be persistent, because we cannot any longer get to all of the questions, so ask your question more than once. I do notice that, and I try to you know, pay attention to that and go, this person is asked more than once. Let's make sure we get this question in there on Thursdays. Thursdays is sort of our, our mixed bag where we, um, we have a lot of different types of guests, things that we think that will be helpful to you. And, you know, we're always inspiration and information. Right. Um, and then on Fridays we have let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy. And so you get the news for the week and we are featuring this year while we're in COVID, we're, once a month, we're featuring research where we have one of our research um, people come and explain research. We, that's happening next week. And then once a month, we have Vince Redmond, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, who joins us to talk about things from that perspective, about what the feelings are and how we accept and um, move through the feelings, because there's a lot of feelings all over the map um, for all of us having to do with the frustration of the daily life, right? Whether you're on the spectrum or you're someone who loves someone on the spectrum, you know, there's life in general and there's the frustration that comes with that. And then the frustration of the things that are in your way as a result of that diagnosis. And I want to point out that that is almost never the person or anything to do with the person who's on the spectrum. It's about how the rest of the world is dealing with it, right? And we need a place to be able to talk about that with. Um, we're saying hey back to the Robinsons. Uh, and I'm sending hugs uh back to the uh the person, uh, Renee and Elvira, uh, who sent hugs. Uh so I, I just want to be clear that we're we're trying really hard in COVID to still bring you things that are relevant and important, but that means that you need to talk back to us and tell us what you need. Um, I really go off of what I hear either here or in the other places that I meet with parents. Um, what parents tell me, look, the biggest problem that I'm having right now is X. And then I go, okay, what, what, who can I get in here to talk about that? So I really want, um, to encourage you to up your interaction and tell us what you need. I also want to tell you that we're doing a big push this year that I'm so disheartened that I met someone online in December, and and they were telling me all the things that they had been through with autism, and they were and 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 we just like met and we're having this conversation. Somebody introduced us, and they were like, "I just wish there was a place that I could go and ask questions. Why does that not exist?" And I was like, "I host that," and they'd never heard of it. They'd never heard of Autism Live, so um, I, I don't know what else to do but to beg for you guys to help us. And the way that you can help us this year, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be a broken record. And I'm going to talk about it on every single show is that we need for you to like us on Facebook. That's a big deal. So I'm begging you right now, if you haven't already, could you please like us on Facebook? I know it seems like a silly thing, but, and then if you could encourage, there's a place on Facebook where you can go in and ask the people that you know, that are in your tribe, if they would like Facebook, uh, like us on Facebook. And I know sometimes that's a hard ask, But, you know, the other thing that you can do is, um, and I've seen people do this a lot with great effect, is if you're watching and you see, today we were talking with Claudia, and if you know somebody who has a teenager and that they've been saying, my goodness, I just don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, all you need to do on Facebook is, in the comments, type their name in, and then it says to them, you've been tagged in this, and then they will find us, right? So, that's another thing that you can do. We are also asking that if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube page. Um, it's a way that you will see what we're doing. Um, you will occasionally get a message saying, you know, we added new videos. We, they are not always anymore videos that we've done live. We've started adding content that we've done other places, and the only place you can find it is the YouTube channel. So please subscribe to us on YouTube. The other thing that you can do um, that is a big deal and allows more people to see us is review us on iTunes. Um, you know, and it doesn't even have to be lengthy. But we find that you know, if if five people review us in iTunes this week, then that means that approximately you know fifty thousand more people will see and hear about the shows. And remember, it's free. So um, we want people to be able to hear and watch and see, and <clears throat> we just really need you to do that um, with us. If you like what you see here, uh, I love Amanda. I just love you. And she says I post links all the time. There are so many people now who try and deter new parents from ABA. Every time I share in my local group, people say how horrible ABA was. Is yes, and I and I hear that. Um, And I appreciate you for continuing to post it. That is part of the issue is that we're trying to overcome people's preconceived notions. And and if you think about it, I just want to ask you, who gains? Who gains when we um, bad talk, good quality ABA? Because, I mean, there were always people who were detractors from ABA, but it wasn't a big time business. And now that insurance has to pay for it, it's a big time business. People tell you, oh, you don't want to do that. Your insurance company is going to give you $120,000 worth of something that will help your child. You don't want that. Why would you want that? Yes, there's a law that says your insurance company, but it's bad for your child. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a lot we have to do to show parents because you know, I'm just being honest, being real here. There's some bad ABA out there and it makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me want to throw up. And part of my mission is to let Caregivers know, here's what good ABA looks like. Here's what schlocky ABA looks like. And you want the good ABA. Don't let them pass you off on, on the, the schlocky ABA. Uh, quality BCBA are, are vital to business. They absolutely are. Thank you for saying that, Abani. Uh, it absolutely is. But there is a regulatory board that makes sure that BCBAs are good quality. We just need more of them. But they're coming. Colleges and universities have been upping their game for good quality ABAs and they're coming, they're coming down the path. We're going to have more, um, not soon enough, but soon. Um, but I think it's really important that everybody has been sold this bill of goods. Everybody says parents don't want to do the full prescription. And you know why? Because people sit down and they go, well, what we'd like to do with your child, with your three-year-old is do a 40 hour program. And the parent goes, I know, I said when it was my turn and I sat in that seat, I was like, you're out of your mind. He's not even three, 40 hours is a full-time job. I don't want to do that. That's crazy. And by the way, everybody in my family, none of them autism experts said, that's crazy. You're out of your mind. Don't do that. He's going to hate you when he grows up. Fortunately, I met a family who was already doing it and I saw their kid was doing amazing And we went all in and then we had to fight for it because they were like 30 will be enough. No, 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 no. You told me he should have 40. So I'm going to stand here and I'm going to fight for the 40 because why would I give him less than what you said he really could? Well, nobody really wants to do 40. Well, mm, that, right? Just mm, that because if that's what he needs then that's what we're going to do. And I am in a place right now where I can say with all authority, that was exactly what he needed. And it saved him, saved our lives. And I'm in the catbird seat where we're getting college acceptance letters now. So uh, I can only tell you where I've been, um, and I can only tell you how important it is, right? But you have to ask yourself these people who are trying to talk me out of what science says is good for me or my kid, what is their motive? Because right now we fought so hard for insurance companies to pay for it. And most of you have the ability to have your insurance company pay for it. But people are actively talking you out of it on a daily basis. And some of them are doing it meaning well, saying, you know, you're right, 40 is a lot. 40 is, you know, can you do 20? Let's commit to doing 20. Well, 20 is better than doing nothing. Sure, it absolutely is. But how about if I gave you a prescription for an antibiotic and I said to you, here's the full antibiotic. And if you want the desired results, you have to take the full antibiotic. But you know what? It's hard to. It's hard to take the full amount of antibiotic because it is. I forget on a daily basis. So you know what? Take half. Let's just see. Let's just see what happens. Maybe it'll be okay. Uh, You know, you would be like, what? That doesn't sound ethical to me. So. Anyway, um, this is, uh, so quality and uh, and BCBAs are vital to business and genuinely should want to help children. This is what I mean. Some BCBAs are not knowledgeable and don't know how some, uh, don't know how some have become board certified. I uh, want oh, it's 1106. Um, so we, we got to get off, but let me say this. If you have a BCBA that you think is behaving unethically or is not properly trained, there is a process that you can report them to the BACB. Go to babc.com and there's a place where you can file a complaint because there is a board that regulates them and will investigate. Like there, there is already a process for that. There should not be, now all BCBAs aren't as effectively trained as, as, you know, more experienced ones, but all of them should be working with mentors and have, you know, somebody who's helping them. But if you see somebody who is not up to snuff, don't take that. You don't have to report them, go right to BACB.com and, and get, get right up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Report them. Um, you know, um, have that conversation because that, that is there. Um, and that is, we don't want un- unethical BCBAs. Uh, I'm out of time and the, and the week is at the end, but don't forget if you miss anything during the week, we play a marathon on the weekend on Facebook of the shows that, um, that we show here on the show. So I love and adore all of you. I'm sorry that we went over, Traven, uh, But I will see you on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now.